Welcome back to Whiskey and Lemon. I'm Lana Mercedes, and we are picking up exactly where we left off from last week. All hell just broke loose at the mock prison in the Stanford Psychology Department basement. If you have not already listened to part one of this story, please go back and listen to last week's episode or you're going to be lost and have no idea what's going on or what I'm talking about for the next few minutes. As the prisoners expected, since it was in their informed consent agreement, they would have no right to privacy and some of their civil rights would be infringed upon. They were told they would have a subpar diet and should expect harassment. At 2.30 a.m. the morning after the prisoners arrived at the prison, whistles are blown up and down the halls as the guards hit the cell bars with their batons. This was the official day one of the experiment. The guards were still getting acquainted with their roles, so they were performing their responsibilities without having real confidence in their independence and authority. However, with the repetition of these activities, it didn't take long for the guards to come into their own. They began demanding prisoners do push-ups as a form of punishment. And at times, the guards would press their foots onto their backs as they did so. The experimenters did not like this idea initially, but quickly warmed up to it as they thought it could prove to be an effective deterrent from acting out. Everything seemed to go swimmingly on the first day, so the experimenters and guards were utterly shocked and unprepared for what would transpire on day two. The prisoners removed their stocking caps, tore the numbers from their uniforms, and barricaded themselves into their cells by pushing their beds against the doors. The morning guard crew felt the prisoners only felt comfortable making this kind of stance because the night crew must have been too passive. The morning crew began cursing the prisoners and threatening them for the retaliation. The night guards stayed and on-call guards were also called to discuss what was transpiring. They decided they would respond with force. They used a fire extinguisher to force the prisoners away from the doors. A torrent of carbon dioxide filled the cells, which, if you don't know, is dry ice, so it's extremely cold. The guards broke into the cells and stripped the prisoners naked. They removed their beds and forced who they believed to be the prisoners' ringleaders into the closet of solitary confinement. They continued to harass and threaten the prisoners with violence. The guards felt they were gaining their upper hand, until they realized that there was generally only three of them on duty at once. The special circumstance of nine of them Working at once was out of desperation. The experimenters knew they didn't have the resources to afford one guard to each prisoner. This was not a long-term solution. They decided their next technique needed to be psychological. Physical would require more guards than they can utilize at one time. They enacted a privileged cell, which would be a location for prisoners that exhibited the least amount of involvement in the retaliation. Only these guards were given back their uniforms and were allowed to wash their hands and brush their teeth. These were the only prisoners that were also allowed to eat. They were given special meals and still needed to eat in the yard, three of them eating special meals surrounded by the other prisoners who were not allowed to eat at all. An obvious goal of the guards here was to turn the prisoners against one another. The guards were fully in control and prisoners had become fully dependent on them. And as the prisoners' dependence progressed, so did the guards' mockery of them. And in turn, as the mockery elevated, the dependence did as well. It was a vicious cycle, and the end nearing was being grasped for quicker and quicker than the experimenters had anticipated. The guards demanded more and more obedience from the prisoners. They became sick with power, and the prisoners became addicted to wanting to please the guards, telling tales on their peers in hopes of a reward. The prisoners were then placed in bad and good cells, which only added to the irrational thinking and level of confusion because there was no rhyme or reason as to why each prisoner was placed in either the bad or good cell. 
The ex-convict consultants validated that these tactics were useful in breaking prisoner alliances. The guards felt that their only way to keep the upper hand was to uphold their psychological manipulation. They were convinced the prisoners would revert to rebellion and attack otherwise, and at this point, it was a game of survival to them. The guards increased their aggression, surveillance, and demeaning language in order to keep the prisoners at a disadvantage. The prisoners' every move became a game of control. Using the restroom was a privilege. Granted or denied with no real reasoning. The prisoners were no longer permitted to use the restroom after 10 p.m., so any need to do so had to be carried out in buckets within their cell. The buckets would stay in the cells and be emptied the next morning, at the soonest. Prisoner number 5401 was viewed as the ringleader by the guards. They took most of their aggression out on him, but at no avail. To them, he could not be broken. But one day, while censoring the prisoner's mail, the guards discovered that prisoner 5401 had volunteered to take place in the experiment simply to expose experimenters and sell the inner workings to local media once the study had concluded. Less than 36 hours into the experiment, Prisoner 8612 began suffering from emotional trauma, irrational thinking, crying, and fits of rage. When a meeting was set with him and the experimenters, they told him he was weak, and if he brought forth information on the other prisoners, he could be slightly spared. He returned to his peers and cried out that there was no opportunity to quit, and that they were stuck there. He began to scream and cry uncontrollably, at which point the experimenters decided he wasn't just trying to con them, and that it was time to finally let him leave. On the third day, family and friends were able to visit. The experimenters admitted that they were afraid that the parents would see the prisoner's state and the setup of the prison, and refused to let them stay. The guards were instructed to be civilized for the morning. They groomed and shaved the prisoners, cleaned their cells, played music over the intercom, and fed the prisoners a large meal in an attempt to neutralize the situation. They recruited a Stanford cheerleader as their receptionist to register the family and friends when they arrived, all to give the illusion of a pleasant environment. The prisoners could only have two visitors at a time, 10 minutes per session. The parents hated the rules, but eventually agreed and in some way became participants in this out-of-hand game. I'm going to read you an excerpt from Philip Zimbardo. Some of the parents got upset when they saw how fatigued and distressed their son was. But their reaction was to work within the system to appeal privately to the superintendent to make conditions better for their boy. When one mother told me she had never seen her son looking so bad, I responded by shifting the blame from the situation to her son. What's the matter with your boy? Doesn't he sleep well? Then I asked the father, don't you think your boy can handle this? He bristled. Of course he can. He's a real tough kid, a leader. Turning to the mother, he said, come on, honey. We've wasted enough time already. And to me, see you again at the next visiting time. In the end, the facade seemed to work, or so those in power thought. All hell breaks loose yet again. Stay tuned for part three, the final episode of this story, next week on Wednesday, same time, same place. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Find me at Halon Mercedes on Instagram to submit your questions and topic suggestions. <laughs>